If you have a copy of God's Word, let me encourage you to turn with me to two passages of Scripture this morning. First of all, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and then 1 Timothy chapter 2. This morning, we're beginning a three-week emphasis on mission, specifically our mission to reach the world. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not a part of the Northside family, I just want to fill you in on something. Everything that we do as a church is guided by our mission to reach the world, to to reach the lost. All of our children's programs, our student programs are guided by by that mission. Our upward sports programs are, are guided by that mission. Our school is guided by that mission. The the men's ministries, the women's ministries that we do here at Northside are guided by that mission. Everything that we do is guided by our mission to reach the world with the good news of Jesus. Now, now we looked at that verse that focuses on our mission a little bit earlier. That, That great commission verse to go into the world to all nations making disciples, baptizing people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that that Jesus commands us. And then he promises that he'll be with us to the very end of the age. And until that day that he calls us home, he's going to be with us. We are told that we're to go and make disciples. We're to reach people for Jesus. We're to baptize them. We're to assimilate them into the body of Christ. That's what baptism is and and then we're to help them learn not only what Jesus teaches but we're to help them obey what Jesus teaches that is the great commission and that guides everything that we do but here's the problem even though we're commanded to do certain things let's be honest simply being commanded to do something doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to do it. Would you agree? I mean, certainly if if Jesus commands us to do something, we ought to do it. And yet, if we're honest, I think each and every one of us would say that that there are times that that God's Word commands us to do certain things and, and we find it difficult to do. And so how is it That we can keep on with the mission that God has given us. I mean, even when it gets tough, even when it gets difficult, even even when we are called out of our comfort zone, when, when God tells us to give more than we feel like we can give and to go places that we don't want to go, how can we do that? Well, I want you to look at what it says in 2 Corinthians 5. Verse 14 is is the theme verse for our mission emphasis this this the next three weeks. But but what I want us to do is is not just look at verse 14. I, I want us to look at verses 14 and 15. Notice what it says here in 2 Corinthians 5. For Christ love compels us. Now let's stop right there. Because the Bible says that that when we find it hard to fulfill the mission that that God has given us, when we find it difficult to give sacrificially, when, when we find it next to impossible to go to, to difficult places to share the gospel, how do we do it? 
Well, Paul says it is Christ's love that compels us. His love for us that won't let us go compels us and presses us to move forward. But listen to the rest of that passage. Christ's love compels us. Why? Because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. What Paul is saying is this. We're convinced that Jesus died for all. He died for all of the world. But because he died for the entire world, you and I, all people are able to die. Now, what do we die to? We die to sin. Because Jesus died for all of us, we are all able to die to sin. And because we still live, we still breathe, we're able to live for him. You see, it's Christ's love That compels us. His love that caused him to to die on a cross for our sins. His love that compelled him to defeat sin and death by being resurrected from the grave. So that you and I can have victory over sin. That love compels us. Now what does it compel us to do? Well hopefully over the next three weeks. You're going to discover and you're going to make a commitment to be compelled to give. We're going to ask you to give. We're going to ask you to give to our global missions offering that we take up every week with our regular tithes and offerings. We're going to ask you to give above and beyond your tithes to help support what we do all around the world. We support church planners. We support missionaries all around the world sharing the gospel with people who have never heard about Jesus. And we're going to ask you to give. But understand, giving is the easy part. I mean, it's easy to to pull out the checkbook and write a check. It's easy to pull out the wallet and and take some money out. That's an easy thing. But we're going to ask you to go beyond giving to praying. And to go beyond praying to caring. And to go beyond caring to sharing the good news with others. And we believe... That if we will take up this mandate to give, to pray, to care, and to share the good news with others, then God will use us in a powerful way. Not just here in Lexington and the Midlands and in South Carolina and the United States, but God will use us around the world to change human history. Now this morning as we begin, I want us to focus on, on that first part, not the giving, We're not going to talk about that specifically in in, in any of the messages over the next three weeks. But we're going to talk this morning about praying. And as we talk about praying, I want you to look at a passage in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Now, now, or excuse me, 1 Timothy chapter 2. Now, the letters of 1 and 2 Timothy were written by Paul to Timothy, his son in the ministry. He was a leader of a church in Ephesus. And Paul is writing to Timothy to tell him how to lead this church effectively. How to tell them how to live their lives in a way that will not only honor God, but will penetrate the darkness and the lostness 
in Ephesus and all around the world. And when he comes to chapter 2, he focuses those first eight verses on prayer. Now, I've got to be honest with you. I've read 1 Timothy a number of times. But as I read it over the last couple of weeks, God showed me something that I had never seen before. Now, I'm sure that, that you probably already know what I'm about to say, but I just want to be honest. Somehow, someway, I had compartmentalized those, those first eight verses of 1 Timothy chapter 2. And I thought that they taught us some incredible truths, but the truth is, I, I thought that those truths were independent of one another. But as I began to read 1 Timothy again, God spoke very clearly to me and he showed me that, that these verses weren't teaching multiple truths. They were teaching one truth about prayer. And if somehow, some way, we can grab a hold of this truth about prayer, it will not only change our lives individually, it will change our church collectively and God will use it to change our world. And so I want you to notice what, what Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Paul says this, he says, I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and, and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in his proper time. And for this purpose, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I'm not lying. And a teacher of the true faith to the Gentiles. I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or disputing. Now, as we look at those eight verses, we discover four truths about prayer. The first one is this, the priority of prayer. Look at verse 1 again. Paul says this, I urge you, first of all, to pray. Now, don't miss that. I urge you. First of all, before you do anything else, to pray. Now, if you've read through the Bible very much, you know that, that prayer is a major theme of God's Word. That, that word pray or prayer occurs over 500 times in the Bible. But when you take the, the words ask or call upon God and you throw those words in there, you discover that prayer is spoken of thousands upon thousands of times in God's Word. And here is the biblical principle on prayer. I want you to write this down. God works in response to our prayers. Write that down. This is important. God has chosen to work in our lives. God has chosen to work in human history. God has chosen to work in the world in response to our prayers. Now, God is God. 
God can do anything God wants to do. But God, according to his word, has chosen to move in our lives, to move in people's lives in response to our prayers. Ian Bounds said this. He said, prayer can do anything God can do. The pity is that we do not believe this as we ought and we do not put it to the test. Prayer can do anything God can do. The only problem is we don't believe God and we have not put God to the test when it comes to prayer. Ian Bounds, a prayer warrior, said that. John Wesley said, God will do nothing but in answer to our prayer. Now here's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid today that, that some of us look at prayer as something that, that can be done by people who can't do anything else. In other words, if I can't work, if I can't serve, if I can't sing, if I can't play an instrument, if I can't teach, well then there's always prayer. But you see, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible doesn't teach that prayer is our last resort. The Bible teaches that prayer is our first priority. Before we do anything, before we serve, before we give, before we go, we need to pray. And this was modeled in the life of Jesus, and it was modeled in the early church. Before the church was even born, when, when those few disciples, less than 120 of them, were cowering in an upper room. The Bible says they joined together constantly in prayer. In Acts chapter 2, when the church was born, and we see the church coming onto the scene, we discover that the church was devoted to certain things. And in Acts chapter 2, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to the fellowship, and to prayer. The early church was devoted. They were committed to prayer. So much so that in Acts chapter 4, when the church was, was facing its first crisis, some of its leaders had been arrested. They were praying together. And the Bible says in Acts 4 that as they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak the word of God boldly. Listen, if you want to tap into the power of God, the only way that you're going to ever do that is through prayer. Without prayer, we get what we can do. But with prayer, we get what God can do. Now, I want to be honest with you. In our day and age today, with all the gifted people and talented people, there's a, there's a lot of things that, that we can do without prayer. I mean, we can, we can do some incredible things and help a lot of people. But we will never see what God can do apart from prayer. And so the first thing that Paul tells Timothy is this. You need to understand the priority of prayer before you teach, before you preach, before you serve, before you do anything else you need to pray. But then notice what else he says. Because as Paul moves on, we see the people we're to pray for. Paul says, I urge you, first of all, to pray. And then notice what he says. For all people. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf. Give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings 
and for all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. Now, after Paul gives us the priority of prayer, he gives us the people we're to pray for. And notice how he begins. He says we are to pray for all people. We're to pray for everyone, everywhere. Now, let me just say there are close to 7 billion people on planet Earth. And Paul says we're to pray for all people. Now, can I just tell you, you're going to have a long prayer list. Amen? There's no way that you and I can pray by name for all 7 billion people. We don't even know most of their names. So what is Paul saying here? He is telling us that as we pray, we don't pray for a small group. We don't pray for a select group. No, we pray for everyone. Here's what I've discovered. Most of us who practice prayer, pray for a relatively relative small group of people. We pray for our families. And for some of us, that's about as far as we get. I mean, you know, if my family's okay, I'm okay. But the Bible says we pray for all people. Now, some of us move beyond our family and we pray for our friends. We've got select friends that we pray for and we pray for them. And, and so we do better than those who just pray for our family. But, but Paul says that we pray for all people. We pray for our family. We pray for our friends. We pray for our neighbors. We pray for our coworkers. We pray for our enemies. We pray for everyone. Now, let me just say to you that what this says very clearly is this. Most of us aren't play, praying near enough. Amen? Most of us have too narrow a focus when it comes to who we're praying for. So the Apostle Paul says we pray for all people. But then Paul gets specific. He tells us to pray for kings and those in authority. Now, to understand, the kings and those in authority in Paul's day were pagans. Every single one of them. And they were not just pagans. They were pagans who were persecuting them, torturing them, and putting them to death. And yet, Paul said, when you come together, I want you to pray for all people and then so they don't forget, he says, and I want you to pray for the kings, and I want you to pray for the rulers. Now, how are we to pray for these pagan leaders? Now, some of us would say, well, I know that. We're to pray that God strikes them dead. Amen? Take them out, God. Get even with them, God. No, that's not what Paul is saying here. He's not saying that we pray for all people and we pray for the kings and the rulers so that God will judge them. No. He's saying we pray for them because, listen, prayer can change any heart. Did you hear me? Prayer has the power to change any heart. Now, in case you disagree with me, I want you to go back to the Old Testament book of Daniel. And there's a man in there who was a king. He was a pagan king. His name was Nebuchadnezzar. And he was a wicked man. And yet Daniel worked for this wicked man. And Daniel prayed for this wicked man. And over a period of time, 
God intervened in Nebuchadnezzar's life to the point that Nebuchadnezzar came to the point that he realized that the God of Daniel was the only true God, the sovereign God who was ruler of all. Now, how did that happen? It happened because Daniel never ceased to pray for Nebuchadnezzar. You see, prayer can change people's hearts. Prayer can change people's lives. So, are you praying for those in authority? Are you praying for our president? Some of you go, yeah, I'm praying for him. You don't want to know what I'm praying for him. Well, get your life right with Jesus. Did you hear me? Now, some of us are friends on Facebook. And I know what you say about President Obama. And it's wrong. It's mean-spirited. And it's not Christ-like. And God's not going to honor it. Now, I don't want you to hear my heart. I don't agree with President Obama on almost anything. We're, we're on two different sides on most issues. But I got to tell you, I'm not praying that God takes him out. I'm praying that God touches his heart. I'm praying that he experiences the grace and the mercy of God in such a way that he'll fall on his face before Jesus and he will let everyone know what he's done. Because if he does that, it will do more to impact our nation than anything else can. We've got an election coming up. And there are people running for president. And guess what? One of them is going to win. I know that's a novel idea to you. I know that you thought that somebody that wasn't running was going to win. But, but somebody that's running is going to win. And here's what I know because I stalk you on Facebook. We have people in this room who support different political candidates. Guess what? Some of you are going to have a candidate that loses. Just accept it. Get your weeping and your gnashing of teeth out of the way. Because everybody's not going to win. Somebody's going to lose. And so are you praying for those that are running for the highest office in our nation? On both sides of the political spectrum? You should be. If you're not, shame on you. What should you be praying? You should be praying that God will give them wisdom. You should be praying that, that God will show himself to them in such a way that they will repent of their sins and turn to Jesus and they will give him the glory that he rightly deserves. You should be praying for our senators and our representatives, our, our governor, our elected officials, our local leaders. Goodness gracious, we, we want favor with our local leaders as a church, amen? You should be praying for them. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying that when you pray for the leaders, the rulers, the kings, and you're praying for them, things are going to go better for you. And so we pray. We pray for all people. Now let me just give you some advice if I can. Your prayer list. Because you need a prayer list. I would encourage you to start with yourself. Because before you ever can really pray effectively for anybody else, you need to pray for yourself. Get your life right. And then you pray for your family, those closest to you. Then you pray for those close friends. Then you pray for your church family. Then you pray for missionaries and, and Christian leaders around the world. 
Then you pray for, for the lost around the world, over 6,000 unreached, unengaged people groups. You pray. You pray for all people. And though you may not be able to pray by name for everybody, you can pray by name for a lot of them, can't you? And I just think there's something important about calling someone's name before the throne of God. Now I've got to confess. At 55, I'm, I'm having a tough time with names. I am. And so don't walk out this door today and say, hey, what's my name? Because I'm going to be saying bad things about you under my breath. Okay? I, I mean, it's tough. The older I get, and I'm, it's always difficult, but it's tougher now. But I've got a list. And, and I want you to know, if you're part of the Northside family, if several times a year, your name and your family's names are brought before the throne of God as I'm on my knees and on my face before God. I'm pleading for you. I'm pleading for your family that God will use you, that God will empower you, that God will protect you, that God will save those in your family that don't know Him. You need to set up that list. Who do we pray for? We pray for all people. But what do we pray for them for? Now notice third, the purpose of our prayers. And we see this in verses 3 and following. Notice what it says. This is good. It pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. For, for there is only one God and, and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. This is the message God gave to the world at just the right time. And I have been chosen as a preacher and apostle to teach the Gentiles this message about faith and truth. I'm not exaggerating. I'm just telling the truth. Now verse 3 is one of the most important verses in the Bible. And the reason it is is because it tells us God's heart for a lost world. Now what does it tell us God's heart for a lost world is? It says, God wants them to be saved. It's good. It pleases God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved. He wants all people to come to a knowledge of the truth. Don't miss this. Who does God want saved? He wants everyone saved. Now, now hear me. Depending on your theological bent, you may say, well, I don't buy that. Well, deal with that verse. And understand, there are a lot of truths in the Bible that are difficult to, to correlate and put together, but God gave them to us together. And one of the things that we need to understand is God is very clear. His heart for a lost world is that they be saved. His heart for a lost world is that they come to know the truth. And so what that means, look at me, listen to me. What that means is, is when you're praying for your son or your daughter, your mom or your dad, and you're praying for their salvation, God wants to save them. When you're praying for your neighbor, you're praying for that coworker, you're praying for that person in school that's far from God, God wants to save them. When you're praying for the Ivan people or the Avadi people in Egypt or, or Sudan or, or India, and you're praying that God will bring missionaries to them so that they can hear the truth and be saved, God wants to save them. That's what the Bible says. It's good. It pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Now, this verse, verse 3, is in the context of what? Verses 1 and 2. And verses 1 and 2 is, is about prayer. 
Paul said, I urge you first of all to pray for all people. Why? Because it's good and it pleases God who wants all people to be saved. And so God's saying that when we go before his throne, interceding, pleading for the lost to come to faith in Jesus, it's good because God wants to save all people. God wants all people to understand his truth. But let me give you some facts. There are 1.7 billion people in the world who have never heard the name of Jesus. Of those, 23 a minute, 1,400 an hour, 32,600 a day, 235,000 a week, 12,230,000 a year die without ever hearing the name of Jesus. I don't know about you, but But that seems unacceptable to me. Let me give you another fact. Since 1980, there has been no growth in the proportion of the adult population in America that can be classified born again. In other words, even though the population has grown, the, the number of people who say they're born again has remained stagnant. We're losing the battle. Since 1970... There has been no appreciable change in the proportion of adults who attend church services at any during time, any, um, any given time during the week. In other words, since 1970, there are no more people going to church today than went to church then, even though the population is growing. And that's a fact. And that's unacceptable. Billy Graham said the evangelistic harvest is urgent. The destiny of men and of nations is being decided. We're not responsible for the past generation. We cannot bear the full responsibility for the next generation. But we do have our own generation. And God will hold us responsible as to how well we fulfill our responsibilities. So what do we do? We pray. We pray for lost people by name to be saved. We pray that that people will rise up to the challenge and go into the harvest field because there's not enough workers in the field according to Jesus. We pray that we will have boldness as we share and will not chicken out when the opportunities arise. We pray that God will open up doors for new avenues of sharing the gospel with people who need to hear the good news of Jesus. We pray. And we pray evangelistically. Why? Well, because there's only one mediator between God and man. And that's the man, Jesus Christ. In other words, there's not many ways to heaven. There's only one way And if we don't tell people about Jesus, the one who died on a cross to pay for the sins of humanity, then people are going to enter into eternity without him. And that's unacceptable. The priority of prayer. I urge you, first of all, to pray. The people of prayer. Pray for all people. The purpose of prayer. Well, we pray that they'll get saved because... It's good and it's pleasing to God who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of truth. But I want to close with the purity of our prayers. Notice what it says in verse 8. I I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or disputing. Now, we don't need to spend a lot of time here, but what we do need to know is this. The power of our prayers 
is tied to the posture of our lives. And you're probably saying, what in the world do you mean by that? Well, Paul said, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer to God. Now, when we lift up hands, we do it today as an act of worship. But lifting up our hands is an act of surrender. And when we lift up our hands to the Lord, we're saying, I surrender to you. Whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, whomever you want me to share with, however much you want me to give, I am willing to because I've surrendered everything to you. Have you done that? I mean, are you surrendered to him? Are you willing to say, whatever you lead me to do, Lord, I will do because I am fully surrendered to you? That's hard. It's not easy. But yet, that's what we're called to do. We're called to lift up our hands, but we're called to lift up holy hands. Hands that have been set apart and consecrated to the Lord. Hands that have have stepped out from sin into a life of holiness. We lift up our holy hands in surrender. And the reason we do that is because sin will hinder our prayers. I want you to listen. Sin will hinder our prayers. There, there are some of you here today who, who you, you wonder why it seems that God doesn't answer your prayers. You've prayed and you've prayed and you've prayed, but it seems like your prayers are never answered. Sin hinders our prayers. Psalm 66, verse 18, David said this. David said, if I had cherished sin in my heart. In other words, if I had delighted in sin the Lord would not have heard my prayers. If I'd longed for sin, if I had chased after sin, it would have kept the Lord from hearing my prayers. In Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2, Isaiah said this. He said, Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor is his ear too dull to hear, but your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear you. God says our iniquities, our sins, our rebellion will keep God from hearing our prayers. It's not that God can't hear our prayers. It's that God says, I'm not going to hear your prayer. He refuses to. Because our sin is outright rebellion. Now, we don't need to go into detail. God's word is pretty clear. But you need to understand that that whatever your prayer needs may be, your sins will keep God from hearing your prayers. And what is it that we're supposed to be praying about? The salvation of the world. All too often, we spend our time praying for Aunt Selma's ingrown toenail. We just need to take her to a podiatrist. And, and I'm not belittling the pain that an ingrown toenail causes. 
But goodness gracious, people are dying without Jesus. You see, our prayer life doesn't need to be focused primarily on physical healing, financial well-being, relational bliss. It needs to be focused on the salvation of the world. And so who are you praying for that needs to be saved? When's the last time that, that the carpet in your home, the hardwood floor, whatever it is, was covered with your tears because you were broken over those who were lost? who were undone without Jesus. And so my question for you this morning as we start this series is this. Are you praying for the salvation of those who are far from God? Because until you pray, and until you pray fervently, nothing else really matters. And when we pray, when we pray fervently, we will see God do more than we could ever hope or imagine in our wildest dreams. So here's what we're going to do. Before we take up our offering or anything like that, our band's going to come out. They're going to play a song. And, and, and I want to encourage you, you who are physically able, and I know it can get crowded up here. But you who are physically able, I'm going to ask you to join me at the altar. And I'm going to ask you to pray by name for lost people you know. Pray that God will break down the barriers in their life. Pray that God will take the blinders off their eyes. Pray that they will see his love like never before. Pray for their salvation because that's good and that pleases God our Savior wants all men, all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So I'm going to pray and then I'm going to come to the altar. You want to come to the altar with me. I want to encourage you to do that. Lord God, we need you because we know, Father, that it's not our words that save. It's your Holy Spirit working in the lives of people. Lord, I pray that we will become prayer warriors praying for the lost. Father, I pray that you will give us a harvest of people who come to you because of the prayers of the saints. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, I lift my friend to you. I've done all that I know to do. I lift my friend to you. Complicated circumstances have clouded his view. Lord, I lift my friend up to you. I fear that I won't. sincere 
Lord, I lift my friends up to you. right now, Lord, just interceding on behalf of these that we've lifted up to your throne, asking you, Father, to remove the barriers, break down the walls, Lord, open up the eyes of the blind, open up the ears of the deaf, so that they can hear, so that they can know, so that they can receive your salvation that is more wonderful than anything that this world could ever offer. Father, I pray that the deceiver will no longer be able to deceive them, but you will set them free. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And as we head back to our seats and we prepare to to worship through giving and the offering, I want to pray as these head back, okay? So let me pray. Lord God, it's an absolute incredible opportunity to come before your throne. For lost people. And we thank you for that privilege. We thank you Lord that your desire is to save them. Even more than our desire is to see them saved. Now Lord as we come to this time of the service. Where we're able to give back to you. We ask you Lord to use what we give. To to change lives. To reach the world. to, To increase our faith. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.